Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. And TV Editor Liz Shannon Miller. Yo! Today we will be talking about The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. The new Marvel series wrapped up its sixth and, for the time being, final episode today. So we will be going deep into spoilers on all six episodes. So if you haven't finished Falcon and the Winter Soldier and you want to stay in the dark, stop listening. Just mosey on off to Sokovia or wherever. So, uh, but for the rest of us, uh, we're going to be talking about this new Marvel series and how it compares to WandaVision, you know, kind of the travails of even making this show where it succeeded, where it fell short. And uh, I guess just to kick things off, Liz, what were your, your general thoughts on Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Well, I mean, I thought it was a little excessive that they spent like the last, like it was just like the last 20 minutes were just the title characters, French kissing vigorously. Like that seemed like it, it didn't, you know, I mean, I wasn't complaining necessarily, but I feel like, you know, just 10 minutes or so would have been fine. Um, I, I'm of course kidding. I, I, I can't, I went into the finale really kind of open to whatever they needed to do. I, you know, there's clear stuff they were going to wrap up plot wise. I was hoping for some, you know, fun surprises and uh, it felt extraordinarily lacking in surprises and you know there were the the big reveals were kind of a letdown uh the general action was kind of a letdown i yeah kind of a letdown like i i I wish i had felt more passionately about the rest of the show um because if if i had felt more passionately about the rest of the show i feel like i would have had more of a reaction to the finale in one way or another instead it was just like oh boy they you know, they didn't quite stick the fall. They didn't quite stick the jump and they also didn't quite stick the landing. And Adam, what about you? I mean, <laughs> longtime listeners of the podcast know that the Captain America, the Winter Soldier is not my favorite Marvel movie, uh, contrary to popular opinion. Uh, although I did revisit it recently and liked it better. Um, so I was not really looking forward to this show. I don't really care about um, Bucky or Falcon and that whole kind of political thriller inside a Marvel universe thing. I, I didn't feel like they pulled it off with the winter soldier or with civil war. Um, so I didn't have a ton of faith that they could do it here. I was pretty pleasantly surprised by the first couple of episodes. You know, I was into the dynamic between the two lead characters and I um, was kind of on board with maybe a more long form story uh, is set in this universe or with this kind of tone, but it just went off the rails. It's just so boring is my main thing. I just didn't care. Um, and there's some interesting stuff they did with, with Falcon to be sure. Um, you know, and I think they, they touched on some fascinating issues, but it just felt really sloppy and messy. Like the whole thing in Alison King wrote a whole piece on this, uh, over at paste about like, it should have been a movie, but even then, I don't even know if it would have been a very good movie. Core idea. And that core idea was, what does it mean for a black man to be Captain America? And I think that was its strongest card to play. And I think whenever it sort of went down that line of what does it mean for Sam to wrestle with this mantle? What does the history of this country mean? What does it mean when the country gives it to just a regular, not even a regular, but like a white guy 
who is decorate who's a decorated soldier, but is fits the profile of what we expect from Captain America. When it was traveling along those lines, I felt the show was very strong, but it kept breaking down because it's it's bringing in all this other stuff that doesn't really help the central thesis. So you have like the flag smashers and what they want is left ambiguous to the point of it being ambivalent. It's hard to say like what they really want, why they're a threat, why they have to be stopped, what their, what their antagonism demonstrates about Sam's journey. Even the winter soldier, even Bucky is not really an entity in this show. He's going through some grief stuff and he's sort of like, it's nice to have him to banter off Sam. Like, and I think he, and I think Sebastian Stan and uh, Anthony Mackie have nice chemistry, but again, how much does this character really add? Same with Zemo, same with Sharon Carter. What if to me, it's like, if you have this sort of true direction for your show about what does it mean for a black man to be captain America? A lot of, Captain America and the Winter Soldiers or Falcon and the Winter Soldier or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I don't know what its title is at the end. Uh, it seemed like it had an, an idea of what it wanted to be and a lot of things pulling against that central idea. Yeah, I think what you've touched on there, Matt, is something that's really interesting to me, which is the idea of, you know, this show's called Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but it, would it have been a stronger show if it had just been about the Winter Soldier and just been about Sam? journey and you could have had like you know the actual plot of the show going alongside it but you know I, you know there's a part of me that thinks like you know yeah like I think you said it's it's stuff too much with random plot things and at the same time like it didn't really get a chance to properly deal with like this whole other character story that they have have with uh have with Bucky and also you know Sam in general like that's a the 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 level of the the level of conversation that needed to happen there was really important just because it is a huge topic to talk about in terms of you know the concept of a black captain america is a huge topic to talk about in terms of race in terms of patriotism in terms of what that character represents in a modern day setting and so yeah i mean yeah, the more I think about it, the more I think that it could have been a much stronger show if that had been the primary focus. It also probably, I mean, let's, it, it really is in, important to state that it would have also been a stronger show if there hadn't been a pandemic. Like <laughs> that, I think this is the first example I personally am going to point to when I think about how the pandemic affected TV and film production over the it's last- It's not gonna be that episode of The Blacklist year. where they- Comic just book animated it. <laughs> just animated it to the end. <laughs> I mean, honestly, as someone who has seen, as probably the person on this call who has watched the most Blacklist, <laughs> I will say that episode feels that that episode at least feels like an episode of the Blacklist <laughs> to some degree. <laughs> but that is a very good. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, we made it. We go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Em. Well, I was going to say, I, I, well, first of all, I. I think part of the core problem of the show for me is I think they looked at a scene in Captain America Civil War between Sam and Bucky when he was trying to move his seat up and that was really funny and they were like, oh, is this a show? And sometimes it's not. And sometimes you don't know until you do it. 
But to me, like there was some fun banter in the beginning episodes. But remember when they were like, oh, you know, a big touchstone of this is like 80s buddy action comedies. That goes away after like two episodes because it's so <laughs> dour. And um, I think what you said is true. Like they, I don't think they ever found an organic way to stitch together Bucky and Sam stories. Because Sam's story is is obviously the the bigger, the more important, and the more compelling of anything going on in the show. And it always feels like they're awkwardly trying to figure out what to do with Bucky and how to get him in here and how to give him, him some resonance. And, you know, that came in the form of the Wakanda stuff, but that, you know, that just kind of barely popped in and out. Yeah. And it's, so, well, they're awkwardly connected because in the comics and you always have to sort of be like in the comics which is such a weird thing because the movies have no problem departing from the comics and yet the comics sort of cast a shadow over everything where it's like what will be referenced and how will it be referenced i feel like falcon and winter soldier are combined because they both have picked up captain america's shield in the comics so in the comics at one point winter soldier became the new captain america and then at one point buck uh, or sam became the new Captain America. And it was sort of like for the, and then so the the question that hung over the series is who will really get the shield at the end? But it was always clear it's gonna be Sam. <laughs> so why bother <laughs> with like, again, and again, there's just nothing thematically that connects Bucky other than being like, you know what? I can speak for for Steve Rogers and, and he got this wrong in assuming that it would just be easy as easy as handing you the shield and didn't understand the racial implications. And I think that's a nice thing, but that's like a scene that Bucky stands for. Like not, not someone who can sort of hang all six episodes. And just from a pure, Liz, what you said is correct. I think in terms of the pan, I think the pandemic negatively impacted the production significantly mm -hmm. because I do think those first two episodes just at least feel more structured but the others, it's kind of like, what are you doing? Like, what is this? How is this an installment of television? How is this a, a satisfying episode of TV as I've come to understand it? And where, like, what is, what are the arcs that you're drawing here? And again, Sam is really the only one that has kind of a clear arc. And again, there's a better story to be told about Sam wrestling with the legacy of the shield, learning about Isaiah Bradley, mm -hmm. you know, what does it mean? You know, is it even right to pick up the shield and sort of engaging with that? But then there's also like, flag smashers who want the world to go back to the way it was during the blip and they're gonna bring people food and medicine and and then kill some ngos and i like okay and then like we'll break zemo out of prison because he doesn't like super soldiers and it's like how do we stop these super soldiers and it's like bullets bullets <laughs> seem to work pretty well against them Zemo thing was baffling to me because I just kept waiting for another shoe to drop. Like clearly there was a larger reason he was in the show and it was like, no, they no. just break him out and he helps him track down a couple of people. He got to do some dancing and we all liked the dancing. But also didn't the Dora Milaje come and get him? How the did dancing he was very in, good. How did he end up in the rift or whatever? The, the raft. Uh, the Dora Milaje took him to the raft. I thought they no, were they, taking they, him to Wakanda. Yeah, they... No, they... No, but then they're like... No, they agreed finally, to take him to the raft. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when they turned him over, they were like, we'll take him to the raft, which again, doesn't make a lot of sense. Listen, here's the thing. I I had trouble yeah. paying attention to this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I feel like, again, what the show, if we're going to like compare the two Marvel shows that have happened, because again, this is sort of like a new frontier for the MCU. Like, yeah, we've had Marvel shows before, but like it's different being a Kevin Feige Marvel show as opposed yeah. to a Jeff Loeb <laughs> Marvel yeah. show. And 
I think what mm -hmm. we've seen so far, and again, there is sort of the pandemic to consider and what that for, sort of forced on these shows. But the idea is if you have a strong central idea, how closely can you hold on to it and really follow that to its conclusion? And I think WandaVision succeeded for the most part because it's like, this is about Wanda's grief. And if we follow that, we're gonna always know what our story is. And when you look at it, WandaVision doesn't really bring in, in fact, it works studiously not to bring in more stuff. And when it does, that stuff still connects. So when um, Monica Rambeau uh, comes in, she's still a story about grief. It's not just, here's a character who's doing her own thing. Yeah, Her story thematically connects to Wanda's story. And I think Falcon and the Winter Soldier, its core idea is what does it mean for Sam Wilson to become Captain America? But it's all this other stuff that does not compute or build or connect with what they're trying to do with that central idea. And so that kind of starts getting, gets very messy. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to make sure I mentioned, uh, because it, it, it's something that didn't exactly bother me at the time, but the more I think about it, and especially in talking about the context of the show, it, it, the relationship between Bucky and Sam and the relation in, in the context of the show, nothing illustrates the fact that they, the, there was a flaw, a central flaw to this whole idea of putting these two characters together and making them the leads. Like the fact that they don't get together, they don't actually reunite on screen until episode two. And they're seeing where they see each other for the first time. The context of the series is, oh, hey, what up? And then they just have this conversation. It's like, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal that they're getting together and working together. If you just came to this show with no prior context for the Marvel universe, you're just like, oh, those two guys from the first episode, I guess they know each other. Like it's, uh, you know, it, 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 it speaks to like how thematically there just wasn't uh, there wasn't a serious treatment of that sense of, of their friendship as or their partnership or their you know co-workership as a central aspect of the show it's just you know it, it which is completely different as a, in terms of you know the fact in, in when you compare it to WandaVision having the strong emotional core and yeah but if if you had just made if the show had just been Sam's journey to becoming Black Captain America I think it would have been a lot more successful. Yeah, I feel like there is, what I really want to know is what was this show before? Because it feels like, again, the pandemic changed it, but what was it in terms of like, what did the Flag Smashers want? You know, what was added? What was changed? What was reshot? Because it feels like this is sort of a show that's been stitched together. And we, it should be noted that this show, if you look at the original MCU timeline that was supposed to unfold before the pandemic, you were going to get Black Widow in May of 2020. And then in August, you were supposed to get Cat, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And then in November or the following January, you were supposed to get WandaVision. So this was supposed to be the first Marvel show and it was supposed to come on the heels of Black Widow. And now it just sort of, I mean, the show kind of ends with, I mean, it's great. It's kind of like a, a new origin story for Sam, like how he became Captain America. And on that level, I think it does work. But everything else, you just kind of, it just kind of ends with a shrug. Whereas like WandaVision's like, I want to know more. Mm -hmm. I want to know more about what's happening. Whereas with Sam, it's like, okay, I guess he's just Captain America now. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> I don't know what that, like, I know what it means thematically and, and in terms of 
representation, but in terms of a narrative, I don't know what that means any differently. I don't just like even John Walker and we'll get to John Walker friends. <laughs> like John Walker's like, now I'm a US agent and my costume is black. And I'm like, why? What does this mean? <laughs> what is the difference? Well, what is Julia louis Dreyfus doing? Who does she work for? What is their purpose? <laughs> I mean, how much of that is a fact? How much of that is it, how much of that aspect of it is um, a factor in the? Yeah, God, I'm totally misphrasing this. How much of this element of it is that we don't know? We we literally have just have no idea when you know when, when Anthony Mackie will be back on screen as, as Sam Wilson. Like you know, at least for this in Phase Four, like Phase Four is so far like there are no projects announced that are basically team-ups between multiple properties it's a lot of introducing new properties and and or you know standalone characters getting their own expanded you know expanded series or films and you know so we don't have like an avengers or a captain america movie to look forward to to, to know what's going to happen to sam next and it's going to be a fun surprise i'm sure whenever he does show up again but there's not, i mean unless i'm wrong there's nothing announced right no there's I think nothing it's I think it's Secret Invasion. I think that's what they're building. I mean, you know, Secret Invasion in the comics is a huge storyline. It's now a Disney mm-hmm. Plus series. But the fact that they're getting Olivia Coleman and, uh, you know, all these huge performers in that leads me to believe that that's their next version of the Avengers. It's only, it's on Disney Plus. Like that, that's the next fa- big event thing that's going to combine a lot of stuff. That's fascinating because that is not, that is, like you said, it's Disney Plus. It's not going in by that point. We should be able to go back to a movie theater. Yeah, there's no, I mean, as of right now on the docket, there's no Avengers sequel uh, in terms of a feature film or even like a Captain America Civil War. But I think they're in the midst of kind of radically, like we haven't yet seen, Black Widow is supposed to be our first introduction of what a post-Endgame MCU looks like. And even even then, not really, because it's a prequel. Yeah, so, you know, there's Thor 4, there's Guardians of the Galaxy, Doctor Strange sequel. I think we'll learn a lot more with the Spider-Man movie later this year and then with the Doctor Strange sequel in terms of how the multiverse comes into play and what that means. But, um, I mean, clearly, I mean, the Doctor Strange sequel is a team-up with uh, Doctor Strange, maybe not a team-up, but co-star with Doctor Strange and uh, Wanda. Um, And I think Thor Ragnarok did that successfully where it just combined two characters and made them the co-leads essentially so Mm -hmm. i don't know this is my rambling way of saying like they have nothing on the books but i think it might be different than what we've come to expect before like it's not just going to be avenger 6 avenger 7 i think it'll be like oh so the spider-man movie is actually using all it's sort of it's like like what is avengers 4.5 yeah yeah yeah. maybe i mean who knows who knows (laughs) at this point who knows i will say like you know i'm kind of like obviously they're not just going to leave it would be a very bad look if they're like, we made the first, you know, now Captain America is a black man. Cool. When's his next movie? He doesn't have one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've been talking about season two, which is, by the way, I don't know if I need a season two of the show. Um, that is one thing. I would, kind of- I would be okay with a season two because I feel like you're, you're, meant you know thematically you're on the right track but you got i'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that you got totally derailed by the pandemic and that you have a stronger show in you that's fair i mean and it it, it, theoretically it wouldn't be called falcon the winter soldier it would be called captain america the winter soldier um and you know and that and that aspect of it would would be cool to me and 
you know, the thing that I find, the things that I really enjoyed about Falcon and the Winter Soldier were all the things that would have ended up on the cutting room floor of a, you know, of a Marvel blockbuster, all basically, basically all the stuff that wasn't an action sequence. Uh, and not that the action was bad. The action was very good. It was very good on, on balance in the show. Just, you know, the, by virtue of being six episodes, they were able to pack in a lot of great character stuff that I genuinely enjoyed. They also packed in a lot of stuff that they didn't need and was kind of an essential um, and, you know, I, you mentioned John Walker. I don't even know how we're going to talk about Sharon. Uh, but, you know, yeah, there, there was a lot of not great stuff, but there was, you know, I, yeah, I, I will 100% watch a montage of Bucky and Sam fixing a boat. That appears to be exactly my speed. To me, I it's want proper boat maintenance with Sam. And <laughs> well, it reminds me of Captain America's <laughs> Civil War, which is a movie that has these bursts of like super compelling dialogue and conversations and then just long stretches of just super boring stuff to me i know it i'm in the minority no that. you're not that, that, film was has my, not that was really, my experience that film has not aged well and every time i revisit it i don't think it's particularly good looking it feels kind of overstuffed it feels sort of like an avengers uh it, it they can they don't have they can it's avengers 2.5 and i don't care and like they can say it's captain america's film all day but ultimately it's overstuffed it's trying to do a lot of things and it's sort of i don't want to say carrying water but it's trying to sort of i mean that's the film that introduces black panther it's the film that tries to resolve you know that breaks apart the avengers it's the film where captain america is now a libertarian for some reason you know <laughs> it's you know and then they have a big fight at the airport and it looks terrible and you know oh and i forgot it also introduces spider-man to the mc like it's doing a lot of things and yeah. i think it it's really the best marvel films and the really i think you can include wandavision as the best marvel stories are the ones that really get specific and say mm -hmm. this is this character's journey and we're not gonna sort of lose ourselves in look at all the other stuff we can bring in like because i think you know a friend of mine you know he's mentioned it on twitter it's a really good term for it it's content mining and it's like we have all this comic book stuff we gotta mine it you know we gotta say we have these characters gotta bring them in it's like do you do you need that or would it be better to take the characters you already have and do better by them yeah i mean i feel like it, it, i honestly though maybe that's one aspect of my disappointment in the finale is of, of Falcon is that I was honestly kind of expecting, like I, I, I wrote a whole piece about how I was expecting a big ass cameo um, in the, in, in this episode. Uh, I was expecting a big new surprise. And instead I got the confirmation that Sharon was the power broker, which was not exactly what I was looking for. You are indeed a crackpot. <laughs> i am i i i i put i put i am not a crackpot in the headline and i have been my i have been born out i acknowledge that fully <laughs> no i think you know part of that like expecting more because i was expecting more out of baron zemo i think is just indicative of the the kind of rote storytelling uh, and the kind of messy plotting where you're just kind of like this clearly this can't be all there is right and clearly this can't be it but I mean, on the share on the Sharon Carter part, we knew she was the power broker ages ago. I don't know why that had to wait until the finale for that reveal. Um, and I seem to be in the minority. And like, I thought I I kind of like her character and I kind of like Emily Van Camp's performance uh, of it, but it just doesn't really serve any purpose. And that post credit scene is just 
so blatantly a placeholder of like, we don't really know what the future holds for her or who she's working for, but let's just make it ambiguous and we'll just figure it out later. We'll fit her in. Yeah. yeah, she's still on the board. And it just feels like, again, I, I said this in our Slack, it's just such small potatoes. Yeah. Like, ooh, she has government secrets. Ooh, there were there were magic stones that could destroy half the the universe. Yeah. Like, who, who cares if she knows like what warplane is on the do docket? Like, it <laughs> just seems yeah. like, like not the biggest deal that she's out there. I actually- Stakes uh, matter, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I will say, uh, I really enjoyed Shara when she was introduced in episode three. I respected mm -hmm. her vibe. She did not give an if She did not give a, 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 I don't, I forget if you guys are allowed to curse. We are, we swear. Or <laughs> okay. She does not give a fuck. I respect that. More characters should not give a fuck in the MCU. Because, um, you know, sometimes people don't give a fuck. I'm clearly going to go with it since you've given me permission to use the F word. Um, anyways, uh, so yeah, uh, I really liked her in episode three. I really thought that was a great way to bring in the character. And uh, yeah, now she's just evil. And that is disappointing. Evil and to what service is the other thing. Like, is she in it for herself? Is she in it for like world disruption? Like to what, or like evil how? Like, yeah, she's like, obviously yeah. she's bad, but bad in the same non-specific way as the Flag Smashers. But honestly, I get it. Like, I don't even think she's bad. And I would what? like to have seen more of her story mm -hmm. of like, listen, I don't have any superpowers. You guys fucked me. Like you left me alone. You left me out to hang and to dry. Uh, you know, this blip thing left me out to dry and I had to make my own way in the world. I thought that was interesting. And then it just, that's like, and then they don't follow completely up dropped. It. Yeah, it's yeah. almost entirely dropped. So yeah, yeah. exactly. That, that's, that's, I think what I'm saying. That's what I think I'm saying. Like, yeah, like the, the, her, she, the character makes so much sense in episode three and is a fresh, refreshing, you know, point of view that we don't get a lot of in the universe. And now they've, and now like that kind of like, I'm going to protect my, myself, my own self-interest at all costs attitude. It's just like, I'm just now working for evil dudes and talking to them on the phone in mysterious ways. Yeah. Like it, it, it's, honestly, it's kind of similar to how, like it, it's, it's, it's a stretch maybe, but remember how Gary Shandling was just kind of this enjoyable asshole in Iron Man 2 and just didn't like Tony yeah. Stark and gave him shit. And it's like, yeah, sure, that's fine. That's a totally, there, we, have a, we have a hundred senators and yeah, some of them are just assholes. That just works. That's natural plotting. And then, and then the, oh no, but he can't just be an asshole who doesn't like Tony Stark. He also has to be Hydra. Yeah. Like that's, yeah, that's that, 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 that it, it's, 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 it's more, when I say it out loud, it does feel like a natural progression. Um, <laughs> and that scene, that Hail Hydra scene only works because of Gary Shandling being Gary Shandling as yes. walking down the steps. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, it has to be Gary Shandling. It couldn't just be a guy. Yeah, but he adds a little something, like a little extra as he's walking down the steps after he says Hail Hydra, that's that's funny. And you're like, oh, okay, I'm glad to see him back. But yeah, you're like, wait, what? Hail Hydra. Okay. So let, let's get into, in also speaking of disappointing payoffs, I think the show's biggest stumble was probably John Walker because it starts out at such a clear place of like, this is what this character represents. This is who he is. This is what we're using him as a symbol for. And then he kills a guy at the end of episode four. And it's like, oh, this is what the symbol means and how it's changed. And like, you know, we're really hammering it home. And then in episode six, it's like, ah, never mind. <laughs> he learned his lesson somehow he's not such a bad guy you know i i it's just like why couldn't like 
this whole lack of follow through. And to me, it really irks me because it makes me worry that what Marvel's real goal is not to say anything or to say, you know, and some people, of course, their goal isn't to say anything, you sweet, naive summer child. But I would say that, you know, their goal is to say things as long as it does not interfere with introducing new characters who can be mined for new stories. And so it's not enough to just say John Walker bad, John Walker represents white supremacy. You have to be like, Bert, you know, is he that bad of a guy? I'm like, yeah, based on the symbolism you've imbued him with, he kind of is. And then the show just shrugs it off and it makes, and it's sort of like, well, if you don't have the courage of your convictions, why should I really care about anything that you have to say? But Matt, he didn't let that truck of people people fall to its fall to a fiery end. So clearly, he's fixed. Everything's so fine now. Well, and it, and I said this before when when we were talking about the episode earlier today. But it's like the show couldn't commit to having a bad villain. Mm-hmm. Everyone had to do a heel turn so that they were and it and it mistook Matt. You put it in a more elegant eloquent way than I did but it mistook uh like it thought it was be having like complex antagonists but really it was just like flip-flopping and you didn't really know or care about any of their motivations so you know it wants you to empathize with Carly's struggle and what she's doing but then also she's like I'm gonna blow all these people up um John Walker he decapitates a man in front of everyone and then it's like well you know he's a he's a pretty he's he's still a good guy yeah you know know, the government messed with head, so. We all have a case of the Mondays. Which murder. again, well, you know, the government messed with my head. That's a fascinating thing. Let's go further. Let's explore that further. Let's go down there. And it doesn't want to do it. And, you know, I don't know. It's silly. It's a silly comparison. But because I have just written a billion features on it, I'm thinking of Shadow and Bone, which is a fantasy series on Netflix. But it has a complex antagonist who you can empathize with, who you can understand what he's doing even in the Marvel universe, Killmonger, like that's, mm-hmm. you can do it. You can make an antagonist who has very violent, despicable means, but you can entirely understand their motivations and why they're doing it. Um, apparently that was just too difficult for- I Wait, mean, can, yeah. I, can I- Oh, go ahead. I just want to float this because I'm, I'm fascinated by this idea now. What if, the, what if something had happened and the ultimate villain had ended up being Bucky? Um, like that's- that's far more interesting to me. Like something like maybe his programming gets triggered or something happens that makes him, you know, not, not necessarily revert to a brainwash state, but like, you know, turns against, uh, turns against the Avenger. I, I don't know. I'm just saying like, you put two characters in the title, like probably w- wouldn't it be more interesting if the final battle is between those two characters? I guess maybe I'm my, over, maybe I'm oversimplifying it. I guess I think my concern there would be, would it be just be civil war two, where it's like both of these characters are in the right and mm-hmm. you know you they have like you know the buddies are turning against each other when they really should just kiss i mean i i fully agree that they should just always be kissing <laughs> i but, was so baffled when it was just like you know it frames up this hero shot and it's sam and bucky and john walker and <laughs> john walker <laughs> and i'm here yes! guys <laughs> and it's like we're gonna we're on the good side we're the good guys and like didn't you decapitate a you man? decapitated <laughs> a man with your shield and yeah. like we're kicked out of government and now you've made your own shield which not cool <laughs> he did some arts and crafts and he made a very nice shield bat who among us has not decapitated a man with a shield like come on <laughs> We've all been there. No, but that's the thing. Like, what is that? We've all been there. Very relatable. What exactly is John Walker's like moment of like catharsis or 
actual, you know, realization or revelation. He doesn't have one. He just builds another shield, gets back out into the field. And he's like, this time I'm going to not be as horrible in public, <laughs> you know? And it's like, and again, I'm sure, you know, you can make the argument that, well, we need to keep him on the board because Val has her own plans and she's clearly putting something together and this will pay off at a later date. And I think that's sort of the detriment of the on of the, the ongoing nature of the MCU, which is you can always play that card of it will, you know, it's gonna make sense. It's gonna make sense. If you just give it enough time, we'll make it make sense. And I'm not saying like that you can't fix it down the line. But Thor The Dark World does not become a better movie simply because you integrated it into Avengers Endgame. It's still a bad movie on its own. It just, you've managed to mine it for something slightly better. Yes, I can confirm having just tried to rewatch that recently and not finished. I, 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 I'm, I am, I, I, you guys may be alone in disliking, uh, disliking a Civil War. I, I myself am alone for actually really liking uh, Thor the Dark World. Um, I just think it's not, I, I, I think, think it has a lot of actually, positive qualities. No, I think half that film is really it. fun. Um, it's one of the better, it's, it's one of the better third acts of, of the yeah. Marvel, of, of the MCU, I think. Like that's, it's a better, it's, it's one of the best action sequences or, you know, with the, with the portals, you know, admittedly, they're just thinking of portals, but still the portals are good. Um, Jason Mendoza approves. <laughs> that was not that was not uh, where i thought you were going with that. nice that's a good joke very good joke um yeah i just i feel like you know I, and i don't want to like rag on falcon and the winter soldier too much um because again i feel like it has a story it has a worthwhile idea at its center yeah and mm -hmm. i think that trying to follow it was really admirable. I think it just got bogged down in a lot of stuff that didn't work to its advantage. And maybe some of that you can blame on its original conception. Maybe some of it you can blame on reshoots that were forced due to the pandemic. But it's a, it's a show that I find frustrating rather than like, this is the worst crap ever. You know, yeah. it's just, it's a show that's like, I want it to be better. Um, while acknowledging that it actually does have some admirable qualities that are just kind of overshadowed by a lot of messiness. Yeah, I think messy is definitely the best word to apply here. And, you know, the, it, I think, I, I'm curious how it'll age. Like, will we, you know, in a month, will we still be talking about it? Will we be, you know, will, mm -hmm. will we look back on it with more fondness? I think probably, my guess is probably it will age better just because we'll stop focusing on the plot stuff so much and the, the more focus on like some of the pretty great character moments that we did get out of it yeah yeah who I knows? Mean, we'll see it's uh, there's a lot coming down the pike so you know as matt mentioned falcon and the winter soldier was supposed to be the first marvel disney plus series and it's also no secret kevin feige said these shows are born out of uh, you know disney coming to him and saying you have to create content for us uh pete doctor said the same thing about pixar um, but the, they are now full speed ahead. They have a number of shows currently in the works and the next one on deck is Loki, um, which I'm super excited for. I think that one looks like tons of fun. I'm excited about Loki. The show oh, that, that, that really piques my curiosity the most in terms of stuff that's been announced and is either completed filming or is filming right now is Miss Marvel. 
not just because it's an interesting character, um, but because this is this is you're going to use the TV show to introduce the character. That's whereas everything before it's like you know, like I know who Loki is, and it's cool to see his story continue and how they'll continue it. Miss Marvel is like never been in a movie. She'll show up in Captain Marvel too, but this is her story. We have to build. We have to make you care about this character now in this series you have no prior attachment assuming yeah. you haven't read the comics and i think that to me is a really interesting play same for she hulk as well which yes uh, you she know, hulk, that, moon knight the, and she hulk has tatiana maslani who is brilliant um but also like i just want a lawyer yes. show like yeah. if, if you get a lawyer show with superpowers <laughs> i'm in i love lawyer shows lawyer so shows will, are great i will watch the hell out of that if that's what that ends up being but yeah, Ms. Yeah. Marvel and Ms. Marvel also another example of, and Kevin Feige said this before, and the thing that makes Marvel Studios television shows exciting versus the Marvel TV shows run by Jeff Loeb um, is that their stories are being plotted side by side with the Marvel Cinematic Universe feature films. So these shows, the stories, which is why the whole pandemic jumble really kind of um, messed up a few things, but their stories will work in sync with the movies. And Ms. Marvel, again, it's her, she gets us, you know, at least six episode introduction before she's a supporting character in Captain Marvel 2. So I think that's a really exciting way to introduce, because, you know, a lot of these superhero movies, you're like, oh, that character was a scene stealer and I'd like to see more of that character. Um, and sometimes, you know, you do and you don't. But I'm excited to, at the prospect of really getting to love a character who then is a supporting character in a feature film. And that just creates, you know, further emotional attachment as, as the story is being told. I also think a show that's gonna take people by storm is Hawkeye because it has Lucky the pizza dog. And for <laughs> yes! those who haven't read, people, if you haven't read Matt Fraction's Hawkeye run, there's a dog, there's a stray dog. And he loves pizza. And his name is Lucky, and I think, and, and we know that there is a dog named Lucky in the show. And uh, yes. I think that the MCU has not had enough very good doggos. No, <laughs> so I think shockingly low. Yeah, shockingly low. We've had a very good cat in Captain Marvel, very good cat, but uh, no good doggos yet. And I, I think Hawkeye is gonna, gonna bring us that. Yeah, despite the yeah. fact that it's- I also, I, I, I wanted to- I, um, <laughs> I wanna I wanna touch on what you just mentioned, Adam, about She-Hulk, which is the fact that it will also be a lawyer show. And I think that's the element I'm most excited for when it comes to these Disney Plus shows is, you know, I think I, 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 I you know, like action i like a good solid you know fist punch scene but i'm also just like i want to see this universe explore other genres the way that you know wandavision did while playing with sitcom tropes and you know she hulk you know ms marvel i would love to see i i don't know what direction ms marvel could go in but like teen dramas you know, something that the, you know, the new Spider-Man movies have found to be pretty rich material. And I think you could easily take that approach. I, I don't know. It's like, there's a lot of exciting stuff that could potentially happen with a lot of these properties. Uh, you know, who knows what new Moon Knight could be all about heists. You know, that could be fun. I like heists. I mean, Moon Knight is a TV show with Oscar there's Isaac not really and much Ethan Hawke. So that's, that's all I need to know about that. From Jeremy Slater. I think it's going to be pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that no, all of the elements are exciting, but also potentially heists. I don't know why I'm looking at that one in particular for heists. There's a whole because Guardians of, of the Galaxy technically have me. Yeah, that's true. I love a heist. <laughs> Everybody loves a heist.
So yeah, I feel like, you know, I think first off, I think it did work to Marvel's benefit that WandaVision was their first show and not uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, mm -hmm. just in terms of how smoothly they ran. And also because WandaVision had a mystery box element. It had like, what exactly is going on and what's going to come next and what does it all mean? That kind of helped string people along in a way that Falcon and the Winter Soldier is like, I can kind of take it or leave it episode to episode. Um, but I also think that's going to sort of, I mean, Loki looks very strange. And I think right now, the stranger, the better uh, in terms of keeping people coming back. Yeah, I, I actually, I, I see why that he thought, they thought that Falcon the Winter Soldier would be the best show to mm -hmm. launch the MCU shows on, on Disney Plus because it's, it's, the most, it's the most aligned with previous MCU shows or most previous MCU like films. But, you know, yeah, I agree. Like having, you know, having, you know, this and then going to Loki next, which looks to be bonkers. Like if, if it lives up to those trailers and everything I've heard about it behind the scenes, like it should be delightful. I was talking to Matt about this earlier and I do wonder, you know, initially it felt like maybe Mount Falcon and the Winter Shoulder Soldier um, uh, really should not have gone first. And, you know, it, it worked in WandaVision's favor um, to go first, but I'm curious if they had gone with their original plan with Falcon and the Winter Soldier first, given the somewhat tepid reaction um, just among general people, if that would have tampered enthusiasm for WandaVision. Because WandaVision, it was just like, oh, this is the first Marvel show. We haven't seen any Marvel movie or anything in two years. We can't wait. Um, and everyone checked it out. I do wonder if it just kind of serendipitously happened this way um, that a lot of people checked out WandaVision and really dug it. I think what happened, what, what helped with WandaVision was that it also didn't look like any other MCU thing that had happened before. Yeah. Like yeah. that was, I think, a huge factor. I feel like I anecdotally heard about a fair number of viewers who aren't necessarily like superhero fans, but like sitcoms. And for, on that basis alone, we're interested in checking it out. Well, and that's the thing. Like if you're going to make a Marvel TV show, do something you can't do in the movies. And right. exactly. the Winter Soldier ultimately did not do that. It was just like, eh, this could have been a movie and it would probably would have been better as one. With, with the exception though, of like the character stuff that would never have made the cut of the movie. Yeah. Like, you know, if, if you can get, if, 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 you, if you can do a buddy comedy with no action and just, you know, Bucky and Sam uh, the, demonstrating the fine art of boat maintenance, then yeah, like, you know, sign me up. But I don't think that the, the, film, the film world would support that aspect. No, and alternatively, I don't think a film version, like a two-hour version of just the plot and the action, I think that would have been... Bad. It would have been pretty dry. It would have been yeah. really dry. Because this show, you just don't care about anything that's happening. So. I think that there may have been like a good movie in there in terms of like Sam wrestling with whether to pick up the shield and investigating what happened with Isaiah Bradley. I think that is mm. sort of like sort of a kind of a research mystery kind of show that you know, would have been cool who's covering than, you know yeah who's covering this up and um things like that but it that rather than just rather than just dropping it yes yeah, rather than like let me show you this house <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i you Sorry, know I didn't no no it's fine i just yeah i just feel like winter soldier or fog the winter soldier is it's one of those things where i feel like it, it sort of has that marvel magic in that like even when a marvel property doesn't turn out great and i'm talking about like the mcu properties there's still elements you can pull from it and be like well i like that and i like that and i didn't have a horrible time in the experience like i i just 
they sort of are able to skate by even when they're not very good. And I feel like, you know what? Okay, it skated by, it wasn't perfect. It was kind of messy. It had some good ideas on to the next. And in six weeks, we'll have Loki. Like it's six weeks away. And then less than a month and then like a month out and like, I don't, Loki won't even be done when, uh, when um, Black Widow comes along. Hey, yeah, look, that's right. It, Luke, I, I get I, I get six weeks off of having to watch TV at midnight on Thursdays. So I'm not <laughs> complaining here. Well, I have some bad news. You do need to keep watching Mighty Ducks Game Changers. You need to. We're going to need immediate recaps in the morning of Mighty Ducks Game Changers. You son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I mean, you know, it's uh, the show didn't turn out as great as we had hoped, but on to the next. Yeah. Uh, anything more to add about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or should we move on to Recently Watched? I think I'm good. Let's okay. Move on. <laughs> okay. All right, uh, Liz. What have you, What have you seen lately that you want to talk about? Uh, well, we just ran uh, my review of the first eight episodes of The Handmaid's Tale season four, and uh, if you know much about uh, the TV screener game, you know that you usually don't get eight episodes of a weekly show all at once. Uh, and they, I'd actually, I mean, they technically released three a little bit ago, but you know, this was, they, they provided eight episodes for review. And it was clearly because uh, there's some stuff that happens uh, in the middle half of the season, especially, you know, around seven, episode seven and eight, that is like, hey, we've been, you know, You've been you've been asking for some major changes to the status quo in the show, and here they are. Uh, so some big stuff happens in Handmaid's Tale season four. If you've fallen off the show, if you've just found it to be too bleak and depressing, um, I'm not going to say that season four is sunshine and lollipops, but I am going to say that uh, there's a, a different a, a different vibe, and uh, there's some interesting choices that they make that may or may not make you happy. Who knows? Who knows if happiness is possible in this world or in any other world? But uh, that is what I just watched. You can read more about my thoughts on Handmaid's Tale season four on Collider.com. And when does The Handmaid's Tale season four air? It premieres, uh, the first three episodes of season four will premiere on April 28th. And then uh, it'll run weekly uh, after that. Okay. With a new episode every Wednesday. Cool. Yes. Uh, Adam, what have you seen lately? Um, before I get to my pick, I did want to note briefly that I no, finally watched- No, we've moved, we've moved on. Well, you will like this. <laughs> I finally watched Leatherheads for the first time, and I agree with you. It is a very nice movie. Okay. What was, there, what, what, what was the leather- there, What's the Leatherheads discourse on this? Uh, you can tell me after. Like, Oh, just that like, it generally is a bad movie. I didn't realize that Leatherheads was a controversial film. I think the general consensus is it's not a good movie, right? Yeah, it's like it's kind of seen as I like guess, a, I mean, I, I, as a minor film. Yeah, I think I've never seen it. And I think it was because the reviews at the time were middling. And I was like, yeah, I don't have time. It's um, very sweet. Okay. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoy doing a screwball comedy. That's yeah. I enjoy the clones. Who's the, who's the female lead in that again? Uh, Renee Zellweger. Oh, I like her. Okay. Yeah. I will watch. Now I will watch that. Two time Oscar winner, Renee yes. Zellweger. Yeah. Yeah. She's very good in it. I He's a good actor. Well, uh, uh, and along those lines of something sweet, we checked out the first episode of Rutherford's Rutherford Falls, uh, which is a new sitcom on Peacock, oh. um, which piqued my interest because it's a new Mike Shore sitcom. Uh, it's created by Ed Helms and Mike Shore and a woman named Sierra Teller Omelas. 
um, who worked on Superstore and is is native, is is indigenous. And and the show is, you know, and this is the thing we've talked about a lot is that like all these streaming services, Netflix and whatever, they're chasing, they can't get the same kind of bingeability that a show like The Office or Parks and Rec gets um, with their own original content. And they keep chasing that. And Rutherford Falls is just like right in line with that kind of show that's like sweet and feel good, but also interesting and really funny and has a unique point of view. And the unique point of view of this one is, is and I didn't know much about the plot until I watched the pilot, um, is that, so Ed Helms um, plays this man named Nathan Rutherford who lives in Rutherford Falls. It's a small town in New York state, uh, I believe. And he's the last living descendant of the, the city's founder. Um, and like he runs like a heritage museum and whatever. And his lifelong best friend is a woman named Reagan and uh, played by uh, an actress named Jenna uh, Schmilding, I think is the, how you pronounce her last name. And she is Native American. It's a town that, you know, has a bunch of Native Americans living in it. It has a casino. Um, and the founding of the town was the pioneers and uh, the Native Americans supposedly like made a pact, came together, made a deal. There's a big statue in the middle of the town, but only for the white founder. Um, and these two characters are not at odds with each other. They are lifelong best friends, despite the fact that they kind of come from, um, you know, opposite points of view here. And you know, as happens in pilots, there's an inciting incident that that puts the city on a global map um, and also kind of upends the racial dynamics in the town. So, and, you know, it's from the showrunner is Native American herself. I think there are a number of Native American writers on staff. So it's unique in that regard because we really don't have many of those. And, you know, I kind of went in assuming it was just kind of a screwball comedy starring Ed Helms and it's really not that. It is very funny and he's doing his Ed Helms thing. Um, but as with most Mike Schur shows, there's a compassionate undertone to everything that's going on and uh, an effort to at least understand all the characters or understand where they're coming from. Um, and already there's some like really characters that I'm interested in and, and happy to see more of. Specifically the co-lead, uh, Janice Schmilding, I think she does a really fantastic job. Um, but, it, you know, it's got Morgan Sackett is one of the executive producers on it. And he worked on The Office and Parks and Rec. Lawrence Shearer, the cinematographer of Joker and the Hangover films, directed the pilot, uh, which I found strange. But in the vein of AP Bio, the show is very cinematic um, in the way it's shot. So it doesn't look like a lot of those multi-cam sitcoms or even like a sitcom that you see, watch on network television. So in that regard, it stands apart, but it has that X factor, that thing that keeps bringing people back to shows like Parks and Rec, shows like The Office, shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, where people just binge them over and over and over again. And I just find it so fascinating that none of the streamers like dumped, like backed up a pile of money on Mike Shore's backyard to ask him to come and create shows for them. Because um, I believe he extended his deal with NBC, so he's making more shows for them. But mm -hmm. if you like shows like that, I would highly suggest checking it out. It's a 10 episode first season and all episodes are available on Peacock right now. So it's not airing on NBC, I don't think. Um, though maybe they'll throw it up there or whatever. NBC had the chance to air a good show and politely declined. Well, I think it's what? that thing of like, and we watch a lot of Food Network, but and so like whenever you watch anything on the Food Network now, it's like go to Discovery Plus. Like, mm -hmm. do not watch this. Right, period. right. Don't go to our streaming service. Yeah. So I think everyone is just trying be to be a streamer like, forever. Yes. Yeah. Sign up. Come yeah. subscribe. Come and see. So but I enjoyed it. I, I'm definitely excited to check out more. I can't vouch for the other episodes, but I really enjoyed the pilot. Cool. Uh, for me, I, my wife and I, we are now caught up on Succession. 
Ooh. We have now watched all Bore of Bore on the floor. Bore on the floor. <laughs> uh, so we've watched all the, we've watched the first two seasons of Succession. And it was a show I was a little hesitant about because I was like, oh, do I really want to see a show about, you know, these grotesque rich people, especially during the Trump era when it started, uh, the first two seasons aired? Do I really want to watch this? Do I really have the mental capacity for it? Um, and I do think it does start off like the first couple episodes aren't bad, but it definitely finds its groove in the like after that. And I think it's a really strong show. It's really, it fits very nicely in HBO's portfolio of dramas, which for the most part are here are horrible people, but you're going to be com compelled by them anyway. Mm -hmm. Like they're here are people, not only are they horrible, but they're also powerful. They wield an immense amount of power in their respective realms they are they acquired power by not being good people and you will despise them but also find them captivating and succession manages that tricky balance and so these are not people like really anyone that you would want to hang out with in real life but as characters it's like the dialogue is crackling uh you're interested in all the business intrigue and there's like you and and they still manage to like rest some level of sympathy and even at times admiration for what these characters mm -hmm. are doing even though they're you know disgustingly wealthy a flaw in the system um treat each other horribly it's it's again it's kind of a magic trick um but the show is immensely entertaining it has like just through its dialogue and the way that it's shot and the performances um, so yeah, I am very much looking forward to, I mean, my wife and I are both very much looking forward to season three of the show, uh, cause season two has a, has a fun little cliffhanger. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I am, we are all in on succession. I, I will say, um, the thing I, I, I forget who made this observation. I was some podcast I was listening to, but I, I, I it's some, something I firmly agree with. I struggled. And when I first started trying to watch succession, I struggled to get into it. And, uh, but I think this is really good advice, which is, especially in the first few episodes, really focus in on Matthew, Matthew McFadden's character, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because while the entire, the entire show takes a little time for, it, it's clear on screen, they're taking their time figuring out what the show is, what their sense of humor is, what, what they're going for. But from the very beginning, Matthew McFadden is keyed into what will make Succession great, ultimately. And so if you just kind of focus, it's like, it's kind of like whatever he, what, what he is doing from the beginning in that show is what you can look forward to the entire show becoming. And it works so beautifully. Yeah, and so also <laughs> I love him so much, but yeah, it's also like, yeah. It, also you get to focus on Matthew McFadden, which is always a good thing. Yeah. No, it's great. Cause I, I mean, the only thing I really knew him from before the show was Pride and Prejudice, which is obviously a very different character. Um, but he, yeah, he is just fantastic. I mean, and especially I, I, the, the character they pair him the most with is, is cousin Greg <laughs> and everything between <laughs> my two, my two tall boys <laughs> is just uh, really lovely. And when they're eating so the funny. duck under, under the napkins where they have to eat the food. <laughs> well, the one that I love, the, the moment I like I, that I keep quoting is um, when Tom gets promoted 
to uh, he get like basically there's a Fox News like network because this is basically Succession is basically the Murdochs for yeah. those who don't yeah. know it, and he gets to run their Fox News, which is like called ATN. And so Greg is like, like I'm you know I have a bit of a problem with it, like because you know like you know I'm I'm against racism, and Tom's response is like I'm against racism. We're all against racism. <laughs> closed loop system it's a close oh my god yeah we could just keep we could just spend the rest of this just quoting succession now so yeah give that show a shot um there's only 20 episodes and it probably won't be back until the fall i think they're (laughs) they've been shooting now that and barry are both shooting right now. they're both shooting now i think hbo wants it back very badly because it wins all the emmys (laughs) yeah my I don't think they, they they won't make the Emmys cut off for this year. So mm. they'll probably, but they've had good, you know, they, they've they been a summer show for HBO for the last several years and they've been successful in that respect. I, It wouldn't actually shock me if it came back in like June, July-ish. Um, I think yeah. that, that, that feels, that feels like a safer, safer bet than most. I Kieran Culkin is so good in that show too. <laughs> just incredible yeah. no that they cast it sarah snook uh who oh, i love fantastic yeah. uh, Every, everyone knocks it out of the park yeah uh all right well thank you all so much for listening if you want to keep up with this podcast you should follow us on twitter liz where can people find you on twitter i'm at lizlet that's l-i-z-l-e-t on twitter and adam where can people find you at adam chitwood and you can find me at matt goldberg Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week.